I'm Josh Ledgard from Kickoff Labs, and this is the On Growth Podcast. Today's guest is Mila Banerjee from Pronti.ai, an app that becomes your smart wardrobe assistant. While some Kickoff Labs customers use our service to build excitement around an upcoming launch, Pronti found themselves in a position where they needed a waitlist to capture demand while they scaled the technology behind their app. They simply had too many customers and a lot of excitement. So they used Kickoff Labs to capture that energy and also 50,000 email addresses along the way. What I learned in our conversation today was how important it can be to conduct detailed customer interviews, develop prototypes, and experiment deeply within each specific marketing channel. They didn't go viral because it was a fluke. They put themselves in a position to take off, and you could learn from that. Enjoy the show. All right, we are now recording. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, we are live at the On Growth podcast. Uh, I am here with uh, Mila Banerjee, uh, and she is from uh, Pronti.ai. Um, and they have a really cool app that they built, and we will get into that. Uh, but before we dig into the app and the waitlist they built for the app and how they built the waitlist and how large the waitlist got to be and how they had to uh, how they had to implement it to stop from being so successful, um, <laughs> I want to first go back in time a little bit and get a background on you, Mila, and your journey into building this app. So, what kind of background do you have? Are you from tech, from marketing world, from the fashion world? Um, you know, what's your background? Tell us a bit about you. Yeah, I um, I have a little bit of a hand in, in the cookie jar sort of philosophy to my life. So I have a varied background. I started programming in the 90s, so I do have a technical background. Um, um, but I also have an MBA and have been doing entrepreneurship for the last 11 years. So um, I, I have a bit of a jack of all trades or a jill of all trades. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah, I saw that quote. I think that's on your your Twitter. Uh, is the 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 hand in a bunch of cookie jars, uh, and I love that explanation for entrepreneurship because when people ask me like what I do at, at Kickoff Labs, I say, well, it's just a little bit of everything. But I like the expression of the the hand in every cookie jar, and I think there's a certain type of person that just enjoys having their hand in a little bit of like every bit of the company. Um, yeah, and so, there's lots of different cookie jars. <laughs> exactly. Um, can you tell us, uh, can you tell us a bit about, that's an 11 year journey, obviously Pronti is something that's recent. Can you tell us about some, uh, some either other successes or other failures kind of along the way that led you to this point? Ooh, lots of successes and failures both. Um, I had an online um, furniture e-commerce business in Europe uh, that helped sort of inform the the um, e-commerce side of things. Um, and actually, I haven't had dabbled. This is a bit my nerdy brain. I dabbled in quantum computing um, and tried to have a quantum computing company. It was uh, a lot of fun. Quantum is such so so interesting. Uh, still not very near term though. So uh, <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure there are a lot of quantum people out there who would who would argue with me. Um, so Pronti was founded basically on. Um, a, a first interaction that I had with somebody that I was coaching and I love to coach. I call it my business yoga. It allows me to stretch and think about somebody else's um, situation, industry um, issues. And it's also my way of giving back. So I, in this particular instance, 
Um, this young woman was uh, thinking about her glass ceiling and how does she break through it. Um, and there was this moment in which she said, well, you know, do you mind if I just put together my outfit for the next day um, while we talk? And at the time, I thought it was a little <laughs> bit bizarre. I thought, oh, well, sure, why not? Um, and then I realized um, as she deliberated that there was something interesting happening here. And so I asked her a few more questions. Now, it turned out she spent an hour, hour and a half every night uh, putting together her outfit. And this is uh, from our market research on the far end of things. But what I thought was interesting was that um, computer vision and machine learning had moved so far in uh, the num last number of years, I would say five, six years, it's made huge leaps and bounds. And I felt that this was something that could be solved and uh, alleviated in terms of the burden, but not the objective, because the objective of what she wanted to accomplish was to look professional, to self-express, and all of those things are amazing. So uh, that was the kernel of where Pronti was born, um, but has also turned into a vision for um, making that ocean of e-commerce much more manageable and getting personalized shopping recommendations. Mm -hmm. Cool. Can I ask? Uh, I'm step back for a second. Something you said early mm -hmm. in that uh, in that uh, explanation of your uh, initial product uh, desires. Um, how do you get market research that says how long people spend picking out an outfit? Um, how, how do you go about figuring that out? Did you do a large survey? Did you like contact other like like fashion like retailers online and ask them to talk to their customers? Like, how did you figure that out? Yes. So interestingly, there were some existing articles on it, but I uh, just went out and talked to literally hundreds of people. Um, so by the by the end of our prototyping and market research iterations, I talked to about, about 350, 400 people and I just asked them questions about, you know, how long does it take to get ready? When you get ready in the morning, what do you think of? What, what's your process? What do you do? I just just applied a whole lot of curiosity to asking people uh, those questions, and then you know, and then after I found out a little bit about how how they went about it, I would ask them a more standardized question like, "How long did it take you? How yep. long does it usually take you?" So you were kind of going there's a there's a name for it, but you were researching by asking like people to give you like very detailed step-by-step, -step, like tell me how you go about doing this. And you're trying to fill in like all of the gaps, like, oh, I open my closet, I look at the outfits, I look at the weather, and then I do this, and then I do that. And um, so you were going, trying to collect all of that very detailed information at this point during the market research. And then you ended with a couple of general questions maybe of saying, uh, saying how, um, I, you know, how long did this take? Um, does that sound accurate? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty accurate. Cool. So and there was a lot, of, a lot of unstructured questions because I wanted to explore and just be curious, but then there were a few structured questions. So I have a couple more questions that came out of uh, out of this. So the first one is, how did you find the people that you wanted to talk to? Because you mentioned talking to hundreds of people, oh. which is not, you know, it it's, sounds intimidating to somebody to like, that has like, maybe I could think of like five people to talk to at first about something, but how did you go about finding like hundreds of people to talk to about something like this? I, I was just opportunistic. So I would, I would use all sorts of uh, ways to get in front of people. Um, 
I, you know, leverage my network, leverage the last person that I talked to, you know, try to um, plot myself in, in groups and situations in which, you know, there were different people because I wanted to get a sense of what it was like across, you know, sort of large, different demographics, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. So would you stop people in a coffee shop that had interesting outfits and say, can you tell me how you picked this? I, you know, I, I will admit that there was the odd, complete stranger conversation that usually came out of something else. So <laughs> I, I have a golden retriever. She is a great conversation starter. Yep. <laughs> um, so when I'm walking her, I meet all sorts of people. Um, and, and so that, that's one way to, to talk to perfect strangers. Um, and then with the with the prototyping, people people can just be curious. So mm -hmm. that's another way for them to just kind of approach you. I also did um, a little bit of a booth at one of the um, colleges who had a fashion department, and uh, and in that booth, I got to talk to a lot of fashion students, and that that was a very interesting group of people who had some um, some very interesting ideas. Uh, and market research that came out of it. So I just I just employed a number of different ways. Just I figured that the more people I spoke to, the yeah. better. Yeah, absolutely. You talked about prototyping and how that engaged some people as well. Can you uh, go into a little bit more detail about what you were using, like how you were prototyping, maybe a tool, or was it just like on napkins? Like what were you, what were you calling prototypes, and what um, and how were you using them at this stage? Yeah, so I did everything from um, your your standard, and I can't even remember if I was using, I don't think I was using Figma at the time, but there's many different yeah. ones, it's Envision, and so you can do some basic prototyping through that, which is very easy, no code stuff, but I also um, tested a few other technical, more technical ideas um, around it, and essentially it's it's just something to walk somebody through and ask them what what their thoughts are on on screens and whether or not that would address anything or would they use it. Mm -hmm. um, and usually what I would do is I would tack the the prototype on towards the end and ask a few general questions without them understanding at all what I was interested in before mm -hmm. before I pulled out the prototype. Okay. See so that I mean that makes sense. See so you would you kind of weave this into these conversations that you were having with people while you were doing your market research. You'd start with sort of these general questions where people might not have known what you were after, but you would end with, Can I walk you through this? Like to, you know, and sort of getting their their feedback along the way. What kinds of things did you learn through uh through this process that you didn't know going into it? Oh, lots of things. You know, it is so interesting. Um you know, I, I think probably one of the most fascinating things that I learned was that um, that the influencer era, I think, has had a huge impact on the way we dress and how much pressure we feel to to uh, dress a certain way or not, not even dress a certain way, but um, to dress well. And I think in the past, it might have been norms around what do you wear to work. And the influencer era, I think, really changed that. So this had an impact on anybody who grew up with the influencers, as opposed to anybody who's older than that, mm -hmm. who'd already picked up their sort of structured uh, process of dressing. Does that mm -hmm. make sense? 
No, absolutely. I can, I could imagine there'd be a, a total difference of people who grew up just like having no guidance and people who grew up in a world where there's like hyper amounts of information out there that you could spend looking for guidance on a, on a topic like this. I mean, that's happened with just about every space in our world. Yeah, but even even the idea of um, seeing people looking a certain way, and I think Instagram um, especially had, um, you know, there was this period where all the pictures were very perfect and people mm -hmm. had these perfect looks and lives. And I think that became um, either aspirational or maybe pressure to, to do the same. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So when you were talking to people and you were walking them through the prototype at this stage were you signing them up for like a wait list for your app so what was sort of the next uh phase that you moved into and when did you decide to move into that phase yeah i did keep some of the names um and and it was interesting i did that more towards uh the end of the prototyping as i was getting closer because um, you know, I knew what we were developing would take a little while and, and people, you can't really leave people on a wait list for that long. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can. Um, so like not, certainly not a year on a wait list. Mm -hmm. I think that there, there needs to be something a little bit more near term because our lives change so much in a year. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so really it wasn't until towards the end that I started keeping some of their names. And what was interesting when I did that is that I would sometimes have people, usually women, come back to me and say they talked about it with their friends because I mm -hmm. put my friends on my wait list, yep. which I thought was very interesting. And this is definitely something that Kickoff does in terms of helping people invite their yep. work to it. Yeah, that's always something we tell people uh, at Kickoff Labs when they're running a campaign is if they're at that earlier stage that and they're trying to determine whether or not this would be a viable like business down the road is is it's not just the conversion rate of people that say that they're interested because that's one indicator, but it's like are are we are, through the measurements we provide at Kickoff Labs, are you seeing people telling their friends or sharing the link? Uh, because if they're not, that's a sign that like, well, maybe they're just polite or they were, you know, you did a great job advertising, but they might not be actually that interested in doing it because people tend to share things that they actually find are interesting because it makes them personally look interesting and cool for finding something new and potentially unique out there. Um, and so that's that's obviously a great indicator. Um, so was what was next for for Pronti? So was it um, the Kickstarter? Was it were you building the app in parallel? Like what was the next stage for you? No, so the the Kickstarter actually only came uh, at our at, at our sort of key uh, turning point moment, which you alluded to, which was our um, our viral TikTok. Okay. So. Um, essentially, we started building the app, um, and I was leveraging my own funds, uh, government uh, grants for hiring students, and um, so I, I started by leading a, a tech team of student programmers, and we started to put things into place. Um, and really, you know, we did a, quite a lot of development, several months of development before the point at which um, our TikTok marketing uh, started to get traction. And so the 4 million views, um, it actually started at the, on a weekend on a, at the end of January and it just, um, blew us away at first. We thought, wow, this is kind of neat. Look what's happening. 
And then we went, uh-oh, like we're getting more failure rates on the back end. This isn't good. Uh, and then, oh gosh, this is really not good. Like we're, our whole entire app is grinding to a halt. Mm-hmm. And so by the Monday, uh, we knew we had to do something. So I just started searching for ways to implement a waitlist in a very quick way. Um, and I was looking for um, a software that could really help me manage that. And that's where kickoff came in. Um, so it was it was a matter of implementing the waitlist really quickly so that we could stop new users from onboarding and getting frustrated and and allowing our app to recover. And so then over the next three weeks, what we started to do was scale the app on the back end so that it could handle more people because we really we really went through the roof. It was that that typical hockey stick graph you see. That's that's amazing. So um, I want to back up a little bit because you kind of just kind of glossed over like, oh, we were doing TikTok marketing. Can you tell me what uh, TikTok marketing looks like to people who've never done TikTok marketing? Were you running like ads in TikTok? Were you just like, did you create an account and just posting like random videos? And how are you producing the videos? And so how did you get to the point where one before one of the videos took off? Oh, absolutely. And and certainly that in itself is a, a journey. So I'll try not not to make it too long. Um, so TikTok is a really, really interesting medium and it is a completely different social channel. So I think whenever you decide to use any channel, you have to understand what is that channel uh, about and um, who's out there on it and what does it value? Because you cannot post um, polished Instagram videos on TikTok. It does not work. TikTok is a raw, real um, social channel that has completely different rules. So there is the TikTok algorithm in the background, which, um, you know, it's smart to think about it and what it might be choosing and deciding. And, and for us, we started to sort of experiment on long or short videos and um, you know, things, there's there's music behind TikTok, so you've got to find a, a song or words or lyrics that resonate with people. And it's just kind of about creating maybe sort of funny or clever little bits of content. In the last little bit, since, since uh, we used the kicks, kickoff campaign, um, we were really focused on just talking to the people that started to follow us so that we could tell them what was going on. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, it was a little bit of, you know, tongue in cheek, you know, here's this lyric, how does it apply to getting ready? Mm-hmm. Um, and we would play around a lot with that. And um, the, we utilize the green screening um, in TikTok, which allows you to show the app in the background and then basically your floating head. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it's just from your phone. There's no super polished production in TikTok. It is, people don't really like it. So what uh, what resonated there, because I hear the same thing. So I recently talked to somebody who's gotten a lot of followers on, on YouTube. And I mean, it's very similar to what he described, which was 
he was looking at um, other successful channels, seeing what they were doing, and then he would just experiment with those different formulas on his channel. Like, does a longer video work in this space? Does a shorter video work? Like, what about a video that, you know, with a different headline? Like, what about the different thumbnail images and how should those look? And like, there's obviously like a lot that goes into, into that. Um, how many um, videos did you post um, on TikTok before you had the, the one that went super viral? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, a fair number. The other thing that we noticed was, um, so one of my co-founders, Andrea, was had started the, the TikTok channel and then went down to visit her family in Ecuador. And uh, while she was down over Christmas in Ecuador and was posting, um, we started to get geotagged to Latin America, which was very, very cool. I, I loved it actually. It was very interesting to see the comments from Latin America. We even got we even got blessed, which was really funny. And they said, "God bless the people that made this app." <laughs> and I thought that was so fun because it was very cultural um, to the area. But but then we also realized that maybe geotagging to Latin America wasn't the only place that we really wanted because. Frankly, we didn't do as much market research in Latin America, mm -hmm. so I had no idea if if it would really resonate. Because um, there's the concept of the app, and then there's the more detailed of how it's executed. Oh my goodness, who has a uh, a real phone nowadays? <laughs> <laughs> Me, it turns out. <laughs> You got the, the the gamut. You're on TikTok and you have a real phone. So. Uh, yeah, I, I know. It's very strange. Oh, no, they're going to continue. This might be one of those places you want to edit. Um, how do I stop this thing from? <laughs> Don't worry about it. We can uh, it'll absolutely we can edit stuff. I'm surprised I haven't had a dog start screaming yet. So yeah, mine's mine's patiently lying down right now, but she might kick off at any point, too. Um, <laughs> So where so we were we? talking about like we we're talking about how many videos you did before you did the one that uh, that went uh, that went viral. Um, you mentioned thousands. What? I would say like I don't know between maybe fifty and a hundred videos. Okay, I mean that's that's a fair number of experiments um, going through. And then um, do TikTok videos have a call to action? Like how do people know? to go from the video that you're doing, like when, when you have this video go viral and then your app is overwhelmed with like signups, mm -hmm. are you encouraging people to sign up for the app in the video and the description in, or is it just they see the name of the channel and then they look it up and it works that way? So tell me how that works uh, within, the, within the TikTok space or how at least it worked for your team. Yeah, like certainly TikTok is not designed for a call to action. Yep. Um, so there isn't a smooth uh, click and go. So we have um, a, a link to our website. Um, admittedly, I'm, uh, we changed it for the Kickstarter campaign. And then I'm just realizing that I changed it back for the, the direct link to our website. But what we were actually doing is putting in a URL genius link. And that link um, helps understand what browser the person's using, and then based on that, routes them to the correct location. So straight to the Apple App Store or straight to the Android um, mm -hmm. Play Store um, or to our desktop uh, version, which is just basically our website. Yep. So, um, and then that helps you understand devices are out there, what are people interested in, 
and from our standpoint, helps us allocate resources between iOS and Android as well. Okay. So then this video goes really viral. It overloads the uh, onboarding process that you have in the app. Um, you search for ways to implement a quick wait list. You find kickoff labs. Um, how did you find, was that process easy for you? When I looked at your kickoff labs campaign, it looked like you had gone with, um, as you described, you're looking for the quickest way. It looked like you set up just our contest box solution where you just set up a really quick box. You probably, um, I couldn't tell if you embedded it or put it on the website because you've changed it at this point. Um, so I'm guessing you kind of embedded that box on your website so that in terms of like, did you stop the app downloads or did you stop the onboarding of a new app user in the app? Like, how did you divert people from like taking the action that was that was causing stress on onboarding to signing up for the waitlist? How, how did you divert people there? Yeah, so it was this was actually a hard thing because we couldn't just pull the app from the app store because yep. then users that were on the app um, currently couldn't get updates. And yep. we were pushing updates every few days just to yep. try and help the ones that had already gone on. But what we did was within the app, we stopped, like we basically hid the registration button so that mm -hmm. you couldn't get through registration. So unfortunately you could still download it, but you got stuck at the first screen to register. Yep. With our website, I removed the two buttons that linked you to the App Store and the Play Store, and I yep. just put the waitlist in there. You just and so embedded the waitlist there on the website. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So I mean, I'm I'm the one doing our website. Um, yep. So it's and as I mentioned, I, I I push code every once in a while. So I was doing that myself, and it was relatively easily. You had all of the code that you needed. So I can't even imagine that someone who is maybe less inclined to do website development couldn't put your code in their header. I think it's fairly easy. Cool. So you found the process of setting it up and getting that going pretty easy. Oh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And uh, do you mind sharing how many people you captured while you were waiting for uh, to, to ease the onboarding? I think it was 52,000 people. Uh, and how many people had you had um, in the app before then? 3,000 was our monthly active users. So 3,000 was a monthly active user. And then after, at the end of all this, you did the wait list, you had the wait list to pause people out. And then obviously you probably started slowly opening the door more to people. So at the end of all this, like, did your monthly active users go up, I assume? Yes. Now, we're not certain how many are kind of stuck in a limbo, but our data shows us somewhere around 80,000. But it's it'll remain to be seen whether or not we're, we still have to do some work in emailing people and mm -hmm. making sure that uh, nobody got stuck in the process. That's uh, that's those, those are some amazing numbers in a relatively short amount of time. Like you said, the kind of hockey stick, <laughs> the hockey stick projection. So then what, uh, when I was doing some research, so when did, uh, how did the Kickstarter come into play and what role did the Kickstarter play in all of this? Yeah, well, so it was very interesting because people were um, were excited, they were angry, they were vocal, um, they were anxious, <laughs> and they were really wanting to get on the app quickly. And so we were just trying to figure out within our sort of tech road mapping, um, you know, is there any other way we could 
make this faster. And we are a tiny, tiny team. Um, and so we thought, you know what, actually we could probably employ some software development help and that could go faster. Mm -hmm. Okay. That's, that's extra funds. Maybe we could run a Kickstarter and uh, this list could become valuable in that. Um, it turned out, unfortunately, I think a lot of our messages went into junk. So mm -hmm. that's, that's something that I don't yet know how to solve. Mm -hmm. um, but I've been since getting, since the Kickstarter closed, I've been getting a bunch of messages saying, oh no, I found this in my junk. I want to, you know, I still want to contribute. <laughs> <laughs> it's over <laughs> so, um, but it's so lovely like people have been so passionate um but uh yeah I, I can't say that we've done everything perfectly in this yeah. three weeks but we tried our best um what actually i thought was also interesting and and your um your customers might uh, want to think about this as well because people were so desperate to get on and um, had high anxiety levels around this, I ended up having to turn off the gamification mm -hmm. of it. I thought the gamification would be fun, but mm -hmm. in actual fact, it was causing people way too much stress. They were refreshing the browser, yeah. upset about where their number was, where they were. So I actually removed it because my intention with the wait list was to gather emails so that I could communicate with people and tell them when it was ready. Yep. Um, it was not an intent to, um, you know, try and cause a frenzy or, yep. um, or just like overhype it. Um, so I, I removed that element of it. Definitely. I would say to people, um, you know, really, really think about your communication around this stuff because I ended up having to kind of backtrack quite a lot, say, no, 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 that's, <laughs> I yep. want you to share if you want to share, but it is not a requirement and we're going to get yep. everybody off this wait list. Yep. Um, and your spot in the wait list didn't matter. And yep. I really wanted people to just, just relax. Don't refresh the page. We yep. will get to you. Now, the whole thing about it going to junk was not planned. Um, so some people missed it. Um, there's still a little thing up on our website about the the wait list because of that. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you know, we we tried our best. Yeah, I mean, at least you were capturing, uh, you're capturing some of the energy that was going on, that was going into it. You were giving them something to do with that energy, whether it was the Kickstarter, whether it was just at least entering their email address, so they know they could be on a wait list. And so it provided you with an, with an outlet to, to sort of take that energy that you weren't able to bottle into, into uh, active users in your app right away, but at least you were giving them something. Um, yeah, so and I would say that emailing them. Oops, sorry. No, I was just saying that's the sense I had from looking at from what we've talked about. Yeah, and I would say that emailing people during the wait list is a really great idea because um, it helps them feel like they're part of the journey and and that you're still out there and that you do care about them. So um, I I would still highly recommend that. Yeah. That's a, that's a huge, uh, a huge um, commonality between people that run successful campaigns. And when I say a successful campaign, I don't just mean people that collect 50,000 emails. I mean, like people who collect a set of emails and then they get those people to take whatever action it is afterwards, whether it's downloading the app, whether it's purchasing something at the store, whether or, you know, buying a subscription to a box or whatever it is. 
um, that people are more successful getting that ultimate action if they're communicating along the way during a wait list. Um, because otherwise, like, it, like you said, it makes people feel involved. And then I think also people just forget about it, even if it's two weeks, a month, or in some cases, like six months later, if you just, your communication was nothing. And then all of a sudden you send an email and says, we're live, we're ready for you. Like, that's just like a recipe for somebody hitting delete on their email because they have no relationship with you. Um, and they don't. Right. And I think, I think it's so important to not uh, arrogantly think that they remember the name of your company. Yep. So like, hi, we're that wardrobe assistant you yeah. signed for. <laughs> like, I just, I just like, you know, I don't expect you to remember. You were excited from TikTok, but hey, this is what we are. Yeah. Um, and actually, there's one um, one of the teams that I coach um, who has been, they're a startup. They're very successful in their um, emails to investors at the bottom. They say, and just as a reminder, here's what we do. Yeah. <laughs> you might have invested in us and, you know, we communicate with you often. We're just reminding. And I think that's just, that's a very nice thing to do. There's so much information thrown out and it's hard to remember everything. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's super important in terms of communication is constant, constant reminders because you, as somebody who's into your company, don't think it's important because you're working on it all the time. In fact, you might even think that like, oh, I'm annoying and like I'm talking about this all the time. But like if you look at the average person, they might be like looking at you know a small percentage of the messages they're getting. So when they do open one of your messages in whatever medium they're opening the message, having a little bit of context um, is really helpful uh, or can be really helpful. And it's not um, it's not going to annoy the people who really care about your product, um, even if you think it might, <laughs> because you're just living in it. You're like, well, of course I know what this product is, and of course I know what it does. Yeah, and I, I'm sure you're not alone in this. I I receive email communications that I have signed up for, and I'll look at the company name and just blank. I have no idea what they do, and even after I look at their email, I'm still confused. So <laughs> I think it's. I think it's handy. And I was the one who signed up for it. So yeah, yeah there's just a lot of information out there. <laughs> no, I'd, I'd signed up uh, for a wait list on a product and I, uh, and I was, I was really interested in, and I had the experience recently of, of just forgetting, like, I was like, Oh yeah, I'll bet that product launched by now. Cause I hadn't followed their emails along the point and I couldn't remember the name. So even my searches and my email, like I couldn't find it. And I was like, you know what? They're really good at communicating. I'll bet next week I'll get an email from them and it'll jog my memory. And then sure enough, I just let it go. And then the next week they sent an email and they, and the email was exactly that. It was like, Hey, just so you know, like we do this kind of service. And I was like, great. That's what I wanted. <laughs> like, I had to go back. And again, like you said, even though I'd signed up for it, I'd known yeah. what I wanted to do. I couldn't find it in my own history. And so, but thankfully for them, they were communicating every like two weeks and I had, uh, and now that I got a subscription from them, but like, I'm sure that customer journey is probably not atypical. Like, you know, there's this, Absolutely. yeah. I think we, people have this belief that people um, go and they see an email and they go and they take action right away from something. But I think it takes, it takes a lot longer to build that relationship before somebody commits to especially purchases or something like a larger commitment. Um, so what I want to talk, I mean, I just want to kind of go into next, just a couple more minutes remaining. Um, what is next for you guys? When I was um, uh, clicking around, uh, obviously you have like the Prontita app site, which is sort of like an end user, like your smart wardrobe assistant. Uh, but when I was looking at uh, the Prontita AI site, it looks like you're positioning it 
you've got two paths where one, you've got a path for people who are maybe fashion retailers and one, you've got a path for people who are, uh, who are uh, interested in the app as like an end user. And so um, how does that relationship work? It looks like you're maybe trying to build a two-sided marketplace. What are you guys, what are you guys doing next? Sort of. So um, within our uh, Pronti app, we have two sides. We have what to wear and what to buy. And mm -hmm. so the what to buy is really about personalized uh, recommendations for e-commerce. Mm -hmm. And we have um, a really neat feature in it where we pull items from your closet and we pair something new. So mm -hmm. the whole idea around this is using what you already have, but also, you know, we all need to refresh items, whether we've worn them out or we, you know, have something that, you know, we want a bit of a change. And so the retailer side is a way for the retailers to send their inventory to our machine learning and then for that to go towards the app. So, um, yeah, shopping is definitely one of the things that, it, uh, you know, is on our mind next. We have so, so many beautiful ideas from our users from the campaign and then from onboarding and trying it out, that we have a long list of features and things that we need to implement within the app on the what to wear side as well. But both both those things I think are very, there's gonna be some exciting changes in the next six months. Cool, and are you still uh, like self-funded at this point? Are you looking, or have you raised funds? Are you looking to raise funds? Like what are you doing to keep yeah, the company going in this time? Yeah, so um, so the Kickstarter was not intended to to fund us. We mm -hmm. only had a thousand dollar goal, and um, you know that is certainly not enough to pay software developers in this yeah. day and age. <laughs> uh, but software developers are getting very expensive. Um, so we are thinking about it because one of my mandates is to keep the what to wear side of the app free and to really sort of fund this through retailers and um, the sales of the shopping items. So that requires a bit of runway. And so we've been we've been thinking about um, uh, fundraising and we've been talking to a few a few venture capitalists as well. Um, I mean, you've got the active users. It sounds like you've done a, a lot of market research uh, and you understand the customer and the need. Um, and I can totally see a, a need for this in, in this space. And so I could imagine a lot of great relationships with uh, with uh, venture capitalists and influencers as well, because uh, you kind of alluded to that earlier in terms of getting you know, their, them on board and talking about how it makes their life to choose easier. Um, so um, what are some advice what, what's some advice you'd have for somebody thinking about um, launching an app uh, that we maybe haven't talked about? Because um, I know you coach a lot of people and whether the advice comes from your experience with Pronti or just general advice, like what's something if you were to give, you know, one or two pieces of advice to somebody who's thinking about going down this journey? Yeah, so I, I definitely think that customer validation piece cannot be understated enough. Um, but the thing about customers is if the only thing you do is market research and just talk to them, you never really know for sure what they will actually do. Yep. So when they finally have something in their hands, they do, they do different things because they just never imagined otherwise. And so I think the other thing that's really important is to implement an agile methodology where you're really um, developing and testing before you go full board into it. So for example, for us, 
shopping is kind of in a test mode right now and there's a pop-up that says you can take a peek but you know it's not really finished mm -hmm. and part of that was to understand a little bit about what happens when people take a peek and where do they go and what do they do and are they having any feedback um, so that when we invest more significant time into it it it's doing the right things so that you don't end up going you know down a path and wasting time and money doing something that nobody wants absolutely um so i sort of view that akin to like you guys don't see it doesn't seem like you're afraid to just throw something out there and and like you don't let's say you don't have shame but like you're you're not worried about how it looks necessarily to throw something out there and test the idea yeah, absolutely. In fact, I think it's important to be thoughtful about how you're testing it too. Mm -hmm. um, so we have we have a lot of things that are sort of on our roadmap that we're incrementally testing people's appetites for. Um, and I think as long as you tell people, you know, this is this is uh, under development or take a peek, give us feedback. You know, we'll keep mm -hmm. iterating, we'll keep making it better. I think um, people are excited to be, you know, be along that journey. We actually had one user who um, took our screens into Canva and completely redesigned them, and I thought that was that was incredible. So I think testing can give you some really amazing um, sort of bright sparks along the way. Absolutely, um, I want to thank you for your time today. Um, I think this is uh, this has been a great conversation. Um, I've learned a lot about TikTok, about um, some customer validation, and I'm sure. Um, our our audience will get uh, as much out of it, if not more, as well. That sounds great. It's been really fun, and um, yeah, I think I think I've learned a lot too, and I always learn a lot every week. Um, certainly, we didn't know anything before TikTok, and I think that um, before we started on our TikTok journey, and I th I think that's kind of part of being an entrepreneur is that you just have to sort of put yourself out there and know that you have to learn something new. So speaking of putting yourself out there, how can anybody listening to this, if they want to ask you a question, find you online? Oh, for sure. So if if you do download the app and you want to give us feedback, um, there is a method through the menu where you can um, send us a, a message. There's also support at pronti.app, and I largely man support at pronti.app. I do have a Twitter handle, Mila Banerjee. Um, I am not on Twitter that often. I should be. Um, that's another way to reach out to me. Great. Um, thanks again for your time. And uh, I look forward to uh, helping you guys out down the road. That sounds wonderful. Thanks, Josh.